Our scripture today is from Psalm 9, the first 10 verses, reading from the New, the New Living Translation. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. My enemies retreated. They staggered and died when you appeared, for you have judged in my favor. From your throne, you have judged with fairness. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have erased their names forever. The enemy is finished in endless ruins. The cities you uprooted are now for forgotten. But the Lord reigns forever, executing judgment from his throne. He will judge the world with justice and rule the nations with fairness. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, my name is Hani Salah, and I am an Egyptian who lived here uh, and worshipped here as part of this faith family for um, over three years, where I studied across the street, and I finished my master's degree in theology and leadership, Christian leadership. Um, I'm currently serving as a missionary with the Free Methodist World Missions and Impact Middle East in northern Iraq, Kurdistan. And uh, I am delighted to be bringing you God's message today and to see so many familiar faces, uh, faces who, people who I love and dearly uh, hold dear to my heart. Um, but because I love to engage uh, the people I'm sharing with, I'm going to start my sermon with a question. And I would like some um, feedback from you. So here we go. And it's a theological question, so, but take it easy, like think gospel. Um, what's a phrase of three words that can sum up the entire message or the center of the teachings and ministry of Jesus Christ? Let me say it in simple words. What are three words, a phrase, that you could say in which you summarize the center of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now it's your... Uh, God is love. Kingdom. God loves you. What else? Jesus is Lord. Andrew, what did you say? Love your neighbor. Uh -huh. What else? What else? Forgiveness of sin. Uh-huh. What else? Into the kingdom. Beautiful. What else? Come to Jesus. Gospel message. God became man. Okay, what else? Still, there's more. 
bring it out. <laughs> what else? Christ died for me. Amen. What else? Relationship. Relationship with God. Beautiful. What you've done to the least of me. Beautiful. Matthew 25. Uh -huh. Doug, what do you think? <laughs> Hope for mankind. Beautiful. Beautiful. So I heard uh, Dr. Joe Cullumber get the answer from the very get-go, and it didn't get back to him because he said, it, uh, he said what I had in mind. Say it again, Joe Cullumber. The kingdom of God. So actually, this question that I've been uh, putting out, all your answers are, are correct. All your answers are right. There's no wrong answer because you can preach. I mean, any one of you can come and preach. Um, but this is a question that Dr. Gordon Fee from Wheaton College always asks at the very beginning of his Bible classes uh, in, in, in seminary and in Bible college undergrad. And he would ask this exact same question I asked, so it's not mine. Um, but actually, if you track the gospel message, and if you track the New Testament, you will find that the phrase, the kingdom of God, was repeated 72 times only in the four Gospels. Can you imagine 72 times the kingdom of God is preached? In the book of Acts, 24 times, and in, in letters and revelation, it's uh, 126 times. That's, that's big numbers. Can you imagine how many times it's repeated? John the Baptist comes, then Jesus comes. John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. And when Jesus sends out his disciples in Matthew 10 and Luke 10, what does he say to them? He says, go, cast out demons, heal the sick, and tell them what? The kingdom of God is at hand. Or in other translation, it's come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. So into the kingdom. And, and that's, that's uh, when Ma Pastor Poole asked me, um, what's, what's on your heart to share with First Free? I was really, I was, I was in Iraq um, at that time, and I was really reflecting on this, the theme of the kingdom throughout the word of God. And so I want to read, reread the memory verses um, from Psalm 9. It says, but the Lord reigns forever executing judgment from his throne. He will judge the world with justice and rule the nations. Can you hear the royal language, the kingdom language? It's reign, throne, rules. An interesting fact is that the phrase, the kingdom of God, was never mentioned as a phrase, as it is in the Old Testament. But the theme covers the entire message in the Old Testament. Actually, if we look closer, the program, God has a program in this world, and it starts at creation. Like Genesis 1, we see God is sovereign. He controls his program throughout history and begins, as one theologian puts it, he rules over matter. He forms and shapes and molds, into, molds everything into a well-rounded, well-ordered whole. He is, therefore, the Lord of all development, the God of history. And um, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. So 
here is a picture of Aslan, the king, and uh, the genius of C.S. Lewis. This magical world of the frozen kingdom of Narnia, where four curious kids walk into the wardrobe. But we see, so that's the subtleness and the mastery of a writer as C.S. Lewis, who actually was a friend of J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of Rings. The same thing he does in his writing. We see a choice between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell. And, and it's clear throughout the story where um, Lucy, Edmund, Peter, and Susan began being sent to the home of a mysterious professor. And, and you, see, um, you see the king, a great lion who rules the world of Narnia, guides the children into truth about themselves and, a, and how they could only discover there in Narnia, but he also teaches them about the adversities of the white witch. And this is the reality I want to show, but not through Narnia, but through a narrative that we see in our world today. And we see in the word of God very clearly speaking to us from the pages of the, the word of God. So why, why Lewis chooses a lion to rule the kingdom? And, and, um, and in the Bible, we see that in the Old Testament, we see a character, we see the lion of the tribe of Judah who rules the nations. This is, there is a promise that the root of David will rule the nations with righteousness and justice. So... There is a kingdom narrative. And today, I want to talk about this narrative. I want to talk about a contrast between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. But then I want to close with your kingdom come. We all prayed it today. And I want to bring it home by saying, how can we become agents of the kingdom? How can we become and live out our calling to be messengers of the king? Let me show you some pictures from where I live. This is the city of Mosul. And uh, I'm going to tell you some amazing and some heartbreaking stories from where I live. Um, this is a church in the plains of Nineveh. You're familiar with Nineveh? the book of Jonah. It's a very predominantly Christian area in Iraq. Unfortunately and sadly, not anymore, because there is a group of extremist jihadists or Muslims that took over this land. The group is called Islamic State or ISIS, I-S-I-S. -S -S, Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. The next picture, we see them shooting at the crosses, so even the icons the next picture, there's an icon of um, Mary, Virgin Mary and, and her carrying baby Jesus. And there's so much hatred aimed towards any Christian symbol. The next picture, um, they bulldozed the church. So they, 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 sh they burned it down, they shot at the cross, and they, they bulldozed the church. The next picture, there's a, uh, this is a Christian house. 
So, so not only the churches were destroyed, and I want to give you statistics that are just released by Jeremy Hunt, who's the, state, the Secretary of State of Foreign Affairs, um, the British Secretary of State. And Jeremy Hunt said that in 2003, in Iraq, there, were, there used to be 1,400,000, so 1.4 million Christians living in Iraq. Today, when the statistics were done in 2016, and I believe the number has decreased, there is only 120,000 Christians living in Iraq. So mass displacement, mass immigration because of persecution and fear. This is what I call the kingdom of darkness. People who have given themselves to hatred like ISIS. Oh, let me see the next. Um, this, is a, this used to be a bedroom in a Christian home. And this was, a rocket was launched to this bedroom. Can you see the mattress coming out of the bedroom? This is in the city of Mosul. The next picture, um, the pain. The pain's been engraved on the features of the faces of the grandmother and the granddaughter. Uncertainty, uncertain future. I, I want you to put yourself in their shoes, losing everything. What does, what does it feel like to lose your home, to lose your, all your belongings, and you cannot go back because there is nothing to go back to. Then the next picture, um, kids. And that's, what the, that's the biggest population currently in refugee camps because in the war, um, the, the older generation was killed or taken hostage and moved to Syria. We work, um, in my ministry in northern Iraq, I work with lots of uh, young adults and teenagers who came back from ISIS captivity. Uh, kids, boys who were trained to be ISIS fighters, so soldier, children soldiers, but girls who were raped, serial rape and abuse, sexual and physical abuse, and so much pain and suffering that they have been through. Um, so Jesus said that there is a prince who is challenging the authority of the kingdom of God. And, and Paul writes in, in Ephesians, and he describes that there are principalities, that there are rulers. So you hear the language of reign and ruling. So there is another kingdom, but it's a kingdom of darkness. It's the kingdom of Satan. And Satan is trying so hard to blind the eyes of everyone that there is a spiritual reality behind all the spiritual oppression, persecution, fear, and killing, and rape. There is a spiritual power behind it. It's so easy to blame the mankind or, or human beings, which is right. We have free will and we choose. But there is a spiritual power that moves human beings into choosing a reality that creates such destruction. I don't want to get bogged down on the heartbreaking reality that there is a power. And actually, you see in, in, in the beginning of Jesus' uh, ministry, Satan comes to him and offers him all, his, all the kingdoms. He's like, I will make you ruler. Which means that, in a way, Satan has obtained this authority after the fall. Satan became the prince of this um, 
and Jesus uses this language. Jesus says that he is the, uh, the president of this, the, the current age, or in different translations, and I'm, I'm quoting the Arabic verses in my mind, so I'm trying to use the English to put the, in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. Um, when Jesus turns down the offer from Satan to become ruler over all kingdoms, Jesus embarks on a new reality. To proclaim the kingdom of God is coming into this world. So what does it look like to become agents of the kingdom? What does it look like to become messengers of the king? Pastor uh, Abbott, when he was praying, um, he said, Lord, thank you. And first of all, for Jesus who have saved us, who has changed our lives. So you have something that the world outside these walls, the world outside in your neighborhood that has not experienced, which is the redemption, salvation, the restoration, and reconciliation, to be reconciled with God. You have something that your neighbors don't have. And when I am walking in refugee camps, we're seeing all the brokenness the Iraqi and Syrian people have been through, because this is the two main ethnicities in refugee camps now in Kurdistan. I think the same thing. I am enjoying, I have joy, I have peace, I have love. I have peace with God and peace with myself because my sins were forgiven. My debt was paid, but they don't. Let me show you a video of the ministry I've been working so hard last year to get established and, and, and running, uh, up and running, and then I'm going to come back to bring it home. What does it look like in Seattle um, to be messengers of the king? Let's, let's watch this video together, people in the audience. So this is a video we made for VBS launch to um, help uh, VBS kids to see the reality with refugee kids. But um, the Noor Center is, is the ministry I started in northern Iraq uh, a year ago when I moved uh, long term. Uh, so I've been going to northern Iraq for four years now. And um, when I walked into the Yazidi, this is the ethnic group that uh, are mainly focused, um, hundreds of thousands of people were kicked out because of their faith. The Yazidi faith is very dualistic. They believe that Satan is the god of evil and believe that God, the creator of the universe, is the god of good. But they, in a way, worship both. So there is a satanic element to their worship. Because of this, ISIS have persecuted them the most. So Yazidi girls were taken and raped as sex slaves, kept for three or four years. There is still over 3,000 people missing from the records, kept in captivity in Syria and their families are trying hard to get them back. But when I walked into their worship place, a temple called Lalish, which I shared about it last year when I was here, um, they told me no light is allowed. You, you are not allowed even to turn your flashlight on your cell phone in the, in the temple. It's totally dark. And I walked in, and we were fasting for three days. I felt something on my skin. And I was the first time in my life to feel such heavy presence of a spiritual oppression of some sort. But I heard a voice in my ears, and God said, these people need light. 
These people need life. These people need love. They have not experienced that. And because of this, I, the word Noor, which means light in Arabic, came to my mind as a name for our ministry team. But there is a reality that I want to highlight in a big way. It's very easy for the gospel message to get muddied up in the social justice and the social gospel. So it's, it's very good, and anyone can resonate with me when we say, we will serve poor families, we will help refugee children, we will um, provide education, we will provide um, sheep and, and, and goats to the, to the refugee and the poor and the broken. But if we stop at this limit, we are no different than any other do-gooder, any other nonprofit organization that's working with the refugees. Actually, if we stop, we are no different, and the reality is we are different. We have something that these UNICEF or whatever organization does not have. Actually, we have a gift that's more deeper to change the lives and give them true peace. And this gift is Jesus. It's the gospel message that the Son of God has come, became a man, and died for our sins and raised from the dead. And now he's living to become our advocate. I want to show you um, two pictures and uh, very dear to my heart, this group of um, Young, uh, young women. In this photo, we, with a partnership with Set Free, we provide trauma care. So you can imagine what it means like to a girl who is 15, taken by monsters, not human beings, monsters, and being raped for three years, beaten. Some of these girls can write down the names of 50 different men, full names, who have raped them and sold them as sex slaves. And basically, every Friday, they would have an auction. And the highest bidder would get the girl. Some girls were sold for $2,000. Some girls were sold for $200. Some girls were given as gifts, treated as property, as, as goods. And our message now is like, Lord, how can we help these people, to know that they are created in the image of God and that there is hope for them and there is a price so high that's been paid for them on the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me show you the picture after this one. I'll tell you a story. See the girl in, in, um, in red in the picture to my right and then one in yellow and then one right after her. This na her name is Miriam. And Miriam has a very hard story. When she came back from ISIS, we found that she has a drug addiction problem because ISIS fighters kept her sedated on medications every day because she was a fighter. She refused what they were doing to her. So when she came back, we had to send her to a clinic for addiction recovery because she was on chemical uh, dependence. What she's been through is so tough because when she's coming out of ISIS, they put uh, an explosive vest on her to blow her up in the Bishmerga, which is the Kurdish fighter's checkpoint. But she's an innocent girl. She's never hurt anyone in her life. She's been a victim for four years, and now she has a choice. 
She can come out of the van and run, and she will kill herself, but not hurt innocent people, or she'll stay in the van afraid, and they will blow her up in the checkpoint. So she chose to kill herself. She came out of the van running, and the ISIS fighter who used to be her husband, basically owned her as a slave, told her that the vest is wired. So if you try to take it off, it will um, set it off and the bomb will go off. He was lying. So when she took the belt off, it didn't explode, but she was too scared to throw it away. And when it hit the ground, it exploded and shattered her arm. She survived. But she's coming out as a wreck. You can, you can imagine the, the, the damage um, emotionally that she's been through. She's been with us for two years now in our ministry center, in, in our free Methodist church trying to, to help her. And um, Nancy, the one in red to the left, is an Egyptian missionary who is full-time in my team. She's a prayer warrior. Nancy was praying, and God really spoke to her heart about Miriam. So she asked Miriam, can we schedule a time to talk? And she is a professional trauma. She's, she's trained as a trauma care a mental health professional. So she's been doing trauma work with, um, for healing with Miriam. And as they are doing art therapy, Nancy hugged Miriam and started praying for her. And as Nancy started praying, she started crying. And Miriam started crying. And as they are sobbing very heavily, Nancy starts to see an image. And in this image, she sees Miriam, the girl she's hugging and praying and crying with, slashing her wrists. I'm sorry, this sermon is plus 18, and there's kids in the room. I feel guilty, but no one prepared me for this. Um, she sees Miriam cutting her wrists, trying to take her life. So Nancy stops praying and asks Miriam, what did you do? Did you try to commit suicide? And the girl started shaking, petrified. How could you know? They all wear long sleeves, so you cannot see her wrists. And even when she pulled her wrists up the sleeves, there is no signs of the, it healed. So it was months ago, she was alone, and because of all the memories attacking her, she tried to take her life. And she started repeatedly asking Nancy, how could you know, how could you know? I didn't tell anyone, I, I, I bandaged it, and not my father, not my sisters, no one knew. How could you, a foreigner, an Egyptian, know? And Nancy could describe to her the room with exact details where she was months ago as God revealed it to her. And Nancy said to her, I don't know, but there is one who sees you and who loves you so much. Who knows? He saw you and saw what you've been through. And he sees you now and he sees your pain. But you know what? This one died for you, and this one gave his life so that you have eternal life and to have wholeness and healing, not only in the life to come, but in this life, you can receive healing from Jesus. 
This girl is Yazidi. She's never heard the name of Jesus before in her life. She started sobbing, accepting Jesus, accepting this love, accepting the one who sees and cares about her. So what does it mean for you to become a messenger of the king? There's a lie that I want to highlight. And it's not only in Seattle, it's all over the world. It's the lie of the silent gospel, where we live as Christians. They will see the light. Amen. They will see the light. Live differently. Amen. But what would set you apart from someone who's a do-gooder, or someone who's nice, or someone who who keeps his addictions or whatever hidden and in front of the people looks nice. What sets us apart? It's the gospel message. What kind of risk would you take to cross the street and go to your neighbor and bring a pecan pie or whatever and knock their, on their door and say, hey, we are your neighbor, we love you. And, and, and we want to become your friends. We want to share this hope that we have. It's in the person of Jesus. This might sound weird, but that's what the culture here has created. It's not weird. It's actually what the gospel is telling us to, to do, is go and make disciples. <laughs> and when we go, Jesus, with all his might, our king, our risen king, promised to be with us. He said, I have all authority given to me on earth and heaven. So go and make disciples. And when you go, I am with you till the ends of times. So go. <laughs> go and share the good news with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your colleagues if you are a student. There is hope, but people will not experience this hope if we do not speak. How would they listen if no one shares with them the good news? Let me bring it back to Psalm 9. Verses 7 through 9, the Bible says, the Lord reigns forever. The Lord reigns and rules the nations. He rules with justice. And our world today is, is groaning for the just ruler, the person who brings justice but righteousness and does not oppress anyone. But the last, in verse 9, it says, the Lord is a shelter for the oppressed. The Lord is a refuge in times of trouble. And you know, this does not only apply to ISIS survivors and refugees who, are, who lost everything. It applies to us too. When I am uncertain about my future, when I am in pain, when I am in trouble, I have a refuge I can run to. When I am dealing with injustice or feeling oppressed in any way or form, I can run to him and say, your word promised, you are a shelter for the oppressed. And I can hide in you. I can protect in you. Let's pray.